right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? All right. So who's fired up to be in the house of God this Sunday? Come on, man. Can we make some noise for Jesus? Listen, I want to welcome everybody to Faith Church. My name is Steve Husky, and I'm the lead pastor. And as always, man, it's our privilege to have each and every one of you here. If you are Faith Church family, man, we're glad that you're here this weekend. And uh, if you happen to be a first-time guest, we, we want you to know you are a VIP. You are very important to us. We're glad that you've decided to spend some time with us. And for all of us, um, we hope that God really does something significant in your life. And so I want to welcome everybody online, especially our Lawrenceburg campus. Come on, can we give them some love? Hey, Lawrenceburg, we want you to know how absolutely proud we are of all of you. So many of you show up, some at 5.30, 6, 6.30 in the morning and work hard. You're dedicated to show up and create an incredible environment for Middle Tennessee. We celebrate the growth of hundreds coming every week. We champion beside you, behind you. We're so grateful to have you as part of the Faith Family. Come in, give them love one more time, man. Awesome. Hey, listen, I want to make one more quick plug for the men's conference this coming Friday and Saturday. Make sure you're here. It's going to be a great time. One thing that we have not yet announced is going to be happening. He doesn't even know it, but I've spoken to Chad Williams, and he has volunteered the first 60 seconds of the two services he's doing to show us all his Navy SEAL tap-out moves on Pastor Ryan Mauser. It's going to be incredible. You're going to want to be here for that. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well, listen, man, uh, last weekend, and I know some of you were there because I've seen you, or seen maybe some social media posts, was the, uh, was the fair up in Lawrenceburg. How many people happened to make it up to the fair? Lawrence County Fair. It was a great time. Um, you know, here's the reason I love fairs, carnivals, things like this, because they're really judgment-free zones. Yeah. I mean, be honest, there's a lot of things you do at a fair that you wouldn't do anywhere else, but you do it there because everybody's doing it and nobody judges each other. Like the things you do, come on, how often do you watch people get on tractors and pull heavy weight? Ways we dress, rides we ride, and the food we eat. I mean, really, the whole, the whole thing is kind of outrageous. My wife and I, we go every year, and I'm going to be honest, the only reason we go is to eat the food. Come on, is anybody with me? Now, think about how crazy it is. We, pay, we drive an hour there, we pay to park, and then pay to get in to pay outrageous prices for food that is outrageously unhealthy for you. And we love every minute of it. Come on. And here's how you know it's crazy is because you wouldn't do it anywhere else. Imagine if you're sitting like at a, at a nice restaurant and you hear the person next to you say to the waiter or waitress, uh, yeah, I'd like to have a deep fried cheese on a stick, a fried butter, and a large cotton candy. $67.95 sounds reasonable to me, right? I mean, that doesn't happen anywhere else but at the fair. But I got to tell you a, a very specific thing that happened last weekend that I'm sure you'll find it funny because, you know, I'm going to give you permission to laugh at me and not with me. Uh, we're walking around the fair and you know, we're having a good time. And um, for a few minutes, I've not seen tractor pulls in a long time. So we made it up into the grandstands and wanted to kind of check that environment out. There was really no seats available. So we just kind of stood there. Just we got to watch one run. And while we're up there, I hear... Um, just over the loudspeaker. So this is a loudspeaker for the thousands of enthusiastic fans at the, at the fair. I hear him say something about a car and something about a license plate. I'm not really paying attention. It's just kind of white noise. And I hear him say, you've left your headlights on. And uh, I don't leave my headlights on. My car, probably like many of yours, it automatically shuts its headlights off. So I kind of, it was already white noise. I wasn't really paying attention to, and I kind of shut it off more than. But I heard the speaker kind of make this comment, and it captured my attention. 
He said this, not only have you left your lights on, you've left your car running. At which a brief moment of judgment came across my mind, and I thought, what a moron. Like, who leaves their car running? So for the next two and a half hours, we walk around, we greet people, we eat food we shouldn't eat. It's an amazing time. We, uh, we go to leave. I'm telling you, it's probably three hours, and we walk. We had parked quite a ways away in a, park, in a public parking lot, and um, so we're walking up there, and I get my keys out and I, you know, to give it the boop, boop, and it doesn't boop, boop. It doesn't do anything, and I look, and I'm like, it looks like my taillights are on. Here, it was my car that I had left running for three hours. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Man, I was shocked. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. I'm, you know, here's what you need to know about that is, is that typically doesn't happen, probably doesn't happen to you, doesn't happen to me. But the only thing that I can guess is I was so fired up to get some cheese on a stick <laughs> that I wasn't really in the moment of making sure my car was off. It's a keyless ignition, so I didn't leave the keys in it. But um, you guys know what I'm talking about. Here's what I want you to know is in the moment, I didn't have any situational awareness. Situational awareness. If you don't know what situational awareness is, situational awareness means that you have a very acute awareness of your immediate surroundings so you can make the best decisions specifically in the area of staying safe. So it's like when you're walking uh, from a parking lot, ladies, into a store. You need to have situational awareness. You need to make sure nobody's, nobody's out to hurt you or snatch your purse. In environments, we need to make sure we're aware of our surroundings. We have security team here at Faith Church and in Lawrenceburg, and their job is to have situational awareness. Their job is to pay attention to circumstances so they're ready to make the best decision possible. And when you do not have situational awareness... You're, you're going to make at least a, a, a funny decision, and more likely, you're going to be subject to someone else's bad decision. And so it's important for us to have situational awareness. If you don't have a picture of situational awareness, then let me give you this picture right here. Here's a great picture of somebody who does not have situational <laughs> awareness. While he's celebrating his catch, he doesn't realize he's about to be caught. While he's advertising his evening meal, he doesn't realize he's about to be the evening meal. This guy has no situational awareness. No situational awareness. And so today we're jumping into a brand new series entitled Slippery Slope. Slippery Slope. What we're going to talk about for the next several weeks is we're going to talk about uh, our challenge with temptation. We're going to talk about what do we do when we fall, when we, when we surrender to temptation, when we tap out. And uh, we're going to talk about um, how you can rise again, how you can come out of some bad decisions. If you've been in a place of life where you don't feel like you can turn it around, you feel like you've gone too far, you've fallen too far, you've gone too deep, I just want you to know that that's the God we serve. His grace is always bigger than our sin. And so we're just going to talk about this journey of temptation and struggle and falling and sliding and all of what that looks like. And so I want you to, uh, I want you to join me. We're going to look at a, um, a really great story that's found in Scripture that highlights this story and this idea really, really well. And it's a story of, of a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, let me give you some background uh, on Joseph and his story. So Joseph, what you need to know about Joseph is Joseph, man, he was, uh, he was a young kid at some point, man, and a lot like us, uh, he, um, he probably thought pretty highly of himself. In fact, he thought so highly of himself that one night he had a dream uh, probably un not unlike a dream like many of you who are the youngest. How many people are the youngest in the family? 
I was the youngest, the youngest of three brothers, and I had lots of dreams of my brothers being tortured in my dreams because they tortured me in my reality. And so he had a dream that his brothers would come at some point in his life and bow down to him. Not just his brothers, but even his dad, and he was the favorite of his dad. His dad made no bones about it that he was the favorite of 12 boys. And, um, but he wakes up, man, one morning he's sitting around eating Fruit Loops and he advertises to all his brothers, hey, I just want you to know I had a dream last night and just so you know, so you can be ready, one day you're going to bow down to me. One day you're going to serve me. His brothers already hated him because he was the dad's favorite. But now, man, this pride and this arrogance just pushed them over the edge. And you want to talk about sibling rivalry, maybe some of you in this room, maybe you experienced it growing up. The challenge and the tension and the competition that happens between siblings. Well, the Bible tells us that Joseph's story, that the sibling rivalry went to an unprecedented scale. That that one day all of the brothers, ten, are out in the field. And as they're out in the field, here's the discussion. It wasn't a discussion of noogies or wedgies. It was a discussion of, do we kill him or do we sell him? And Joseph has no clue, man. He's like walking. I was like, hey, guys, what's going on? And they kind of change the tone. And eventually they're, they're kind of navigating. What do we do with this kid? We don't like him. We want to get rid of him. We want him out of the family. And so better, cooler heads prevail. And they decide at this point not to kill him. But what they do is they take this coat that, got, that dad gave him, this special coat that was just a reminder that he was the favorite and they strip it off of him. They throw him in a hole, in a ditch, and, uh, and they put blood on the coat, take it back to dad's house and say, hey, man, Joseph must have been eaten by an animal. This is all we found left of him. And the next day they go out, and eventually they end up selling their younger brother. How horrible is this? They sell Joseph into slavery. And he gets sold from slavery, from his homeland. He gets carried into the land of Egypt by this band of marauders who, who, um, who deal in human trafficking. They end up in the land of Egypt. Young Joseph ends up on the auction block and sold as a slave to this guy by the name of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar in the land of Egypt is an influential cat. He's important. He's kind of like, he's kind of like the head of security for King Pharaoh. He's kind of like the head of the CIA. He's kind of the chief of, chief of police. So he has clout and importance. He's somebody. And he buys Joseph, again, who his brother sold into slavery. And Joseph is a slave in a foreign land, away from his friends, his family, everything that's familiar to him. And here's where his story picks up. Genesis 39, verse 2. Everybody here read this with me. And the Lord was with Joseph. Come on, y'all got to get that. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Now, here's why I got to hang for just a few minutes before we get into really where I want to go today is these first couple verses. It says here, man, the Lord was with Joseph. It didn't look like God was with Joseph because everybody knows if God's with you, everything works out. Everybody knows if God's with you that, that everything is blessed and your job is right and your bills are paid and your cars run and your kids are obedient and you're, you're doing great in school and everything's easy and you've, you found the, the love of your life. Hey, when God's with you, everything's great, right? I want you to know something, that God is with you always. 
He's not just with us on the mountaintop and with everything smooth. God's promise is that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He's not just with us. We need him in the valley. We want him with us in the valley. And here is Joseph in a foreign land serving as a slave. And the Bible says, but the Lord was still with him. God was there with him. And what I want you to know today as we step into this is I want you to know that, that your situation is a stage for God's strength. Your predicament is a platform for God's power. If you're in a tough place, it's an opportunity for God to show up and show himself strong. If everything's okay in your life, there's really not a lot of room for God to show up in a visible way. But sometimes it's the most desperate circumstances. Sometimes it's the hardest times where you don't know the way out. That when you find a way out, you know it was God who brought you out. Come on. And so the Lord wasn't just with Joseph. I want you to know today the Lord is with you. The Lord is with me. Verse 2, this is big too, right? Before we get into the meat of this, this is the big one. It says, verse, uh, verse 3, and Potiphar noticed this. Everybody say that. Potiphar noticed this about Joseph. He noticed the Lord was with him and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Here's, here's a question. Here's a guy in, in a total land of idolatry. Egypt was filled with false gods and demonology. They worshiped everything from the sun to the river to the fish in the river. They worshiped Pharaoh himself as a god. This is a land f- filled with idolatry. Yet because of Joseph, Pharaoh or, or Potiphar is able to look at him and, and say, I see something in him. Here's the question. What did he see? What did he see? Here's what I want you to know is that people are watching you. People are noticing me. When you don't realize it at work and you don't realize it on the campus and you don't realize it when you're walking down the street and you don't realize it when you're checking out at Walmart and you don't realize it when you're ordering your food at Rosie's, when people know you're a Christ follower, when they recognize that you admitted to know Jesus, when they, when they hear that you love God, when they see your faith church sticker on the back, I believe with all of my heart they perk up and pay attention. How will they act? How will they treat people? How will they respond to this situation? People are noticing how we handle difficulties. And the Bible says Potiphar noticed this about, about his, his new young slave. Think about what it was to be a slave. Like, what, what are my, what am, so what, what's my days off? Tell, tell me about my benefit package. Well, your benefit package is uh, you work um, Monday through Sunday, uh, midnight to midnight. Uh, so what about my health plan? Health plan is if you don't do what we told you to do, we beat you with a stick. Like that's it. I don't know about you, but if I get sold in slavery by my brothers and I'm forced to be a slave, I'm mumbling about my brothers. I'm grumbling about my situation. Like I, I'm gossiping. Every time I get a chance, I'm telling somebody who listened how mean my brothers were and how, how awful God is because if he loved me, why would he let me hear? I'm telling you, sometimes we get in a bad situation and we rob God of glory, but I'm telling you, God wants us to have an incredible testimony. And it's not, listen to me, it's not about the outcome of the circumstances. It's about the outlook of our attitude that in the middle of a tough place we can declare God's with me so he's gonna work this out come on somebody but here's where we get into really the meat of this story as it as it goes with a slippery slope so this says this this pleased Potiphar that he noticed this new young slave of his who was kind of the bottom of the barrel he was an entry-level slave Like, he recognizes God's with him, and he's succeeding. He's doing well. He's working hard. So he gets a promotion. This pleased Potiphar. So soon he made Joseph his personal assistant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. 
And it goes on and says this, From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. This is so awesome. Next verse. So Potiphar, everybody, I want you to read this because this is a key verse we'll come back to. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility. Everybody say that. Complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Now, here's why this is important. So Joseph goes in and he gets a promotion and another promotion and another promotion until he's the most important person in the house next to Potiphar. He has complete administrative authority. He's no longer just a slave being told what to do. He's at least the chief slave telling every other slave what to do. He's in complete control of everything that's going on in the house except what Potiphar eats, which is a man I can dig that. I get that. Come on. And here's where the story starts to take an interesting turn. Verse, verse 6. And Joseph was a very handsome and well-built man. Now, by anybody else, that verse jumps out to me. It's like a, you know, the Bible says the Bible's like a mirror. So I, come on, y'all can laugh, right? <laughs> Here, here's the thing, man. I mean, we see this at this point. Joseph is probably 18 to 21 years old. He's filling out. He's, he's muscular. He's put together well. He's handsome. He's a good-looking dude with a six-pack. And there's a lot of us in this room, and maybe this, honestly, this describes you. You know, man, that you got it going on. You're here. You're, you're, a, you're a lady, and regardless of the age, like, you know you look good. You put yourself together. You put your war paint on every morning. You carry yourself well. You look good. And I just want you to know something. Everybody hear this. A lot of us in this world, we want to look good, and that's okay. And some of us are, we got that, some of you got that genetic thing going on, and we hate you. Like, you don't even have to do anything. You just wake up. You roll out of bed looking good. But I want you to know something. Listen to me. That the success we strive for, sometimes, sometimes your greatest assets that you think are working for you, the enemy can use it as ammunition against you. And you better have a situational awareness. You better be aware of who you are and how you carry yourself. Listen to me. This is so important. If you're a good-looking person, if you have money or you don't have to have money. If you got a lot of debt, but you have an appearance of money, or if you have a position of authority, you are a target for the enemy. While we strive to be important, we strive to, to rise in the, in the business, we strive to, to have wealth. I want you to know, I think that's all good. I believe God wants us to prosper. But you better have a situational awareness that if you got good looks, if you've got a place or a position of authority or influence, or you got money in your pockets, you better be aware that that's ammunition the enemy is going to use against you. If you are not aware of your circumstances, you will become a casualty of them. Come on, I wish y'all would help me. Listen, listen, all you got to do is read the paper. On a regular basis, students are sleeping with their teachers. Why? It's not just students that are 15, 16, 17 years old, pumped full of hormones. It is that they are attracted to the position that their teachers hold. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? My wife on the regular basis, my assistant Donna on a regular basis, pastor, be careful. Pastor, be careful. You better be careful. People are attracted to you just because you're a pastor of a large church. Like I'm th- I want to say it's because I'm good looking. No, it's because I have a position. I'm telling you. Are you all, I'm trying to help you. Some of you, and some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, and I can't help it if I'm, if I'm fair looking. I can't help it if I've got abs of steel. I can't help it if I've got a little bit of money. Like, I should, I should, I should, I should hate that. No, I'm just telling you, listen to me. You, you may not have control of some circumstances, but you better make sure those circumstances don't have control of you. 
If you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a small business owner, if you drive a nice car, I'm telling you, you are a target for the enemy. And Joseph, he had no control of the situation he was in, but that situation was about to take control of him. And it goes on, watch this. It says, and Potiphar's wife, the original desperate housewife, <laughs> began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, I just wonder at what point, if at any point, did Joseph realize that this woman was looking at him and eye him, not just looking at him like, hey, there's Joseph, but like she's like, uh-huh, there's Joseph. Mm-hmm. She is attracted to him sexually. She wants to get him in her bedroom. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but important people don't marry ugly people. This is the fact. You better believe a person of promise like Potiphar had at least, if he didn't have anything else, he had a good-looking woman. You say, how did he have a good-looking woman? Here's why, because I already told you, people are attracted to power and authority. He could be the ugliest cat in the kingdom, but he landed a hottie because he had power and prominence. I wish y'all would help me today. I'm preaching better than you are helping me. And so, so this good-looking woman is eyeing this 18, 19, 20-year-old buff, hot, good-looking guy. The question is, does he have situational awareness? Does he know he's a target? Does he know he's being looked at? Is he aware? Or is he just going through his day? You better be aware of the situation. We need situational awareness. If you are on the campus, if you are on the job, if you are in the cubicle, or if you are on Facebook, or you are striking up a conversation, you better be aware that it's not always as innocent as you think it is. Sometimes people have motives to get in your life, get in your pocket, get in your pants, get in your life, and rob you, steal from you, and cause you to fall. You have to have situational awareness. I don't know if you all read this. I read a report, and it, the reason I bring it up, it fits, but I noticed it was, it was on every medium. I read it probably 20 different places. So people were just, you know, the APA was just copying and re reposting this article. But the article, in case you didn't see it, you need to pay attention specifically if you have these two features in your life, if you like to travel and you are a selfie-taking person. I don't know if you noticed this, but this was the article that 250 people, may not seem like a lot, but 250 people have died taking selfies around the world. You say, how? Because they're trying to get the perfect shot at the Grand Canyon. I just, need to, I just need to go back. They have no situation awareness. All they see is their little screen. And the next thing they know, ah! <laughs> trying to get a picture on the Eiffel Tower. Trying to get a picture up on, right, up on Sears Tower. Trying to get the right picture sitting on a railing. Like, and they, they have no situational awareness. They have no idea that their life is on the line because they're fo so focused in the moment. They have no situational awareness, and it costs them their life. If you do not have situational awareness about who you are or the situation you're in, you run the risk of falling into sin. So here's, here's the really great news. It says, but Joseph refused. Everybody say that. Joseph Refused. I love it. Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in the entire household. I, I love it that I love it that he re refused. Everybody say, I refuse. 
If you are going to overcome temptation, you have to refuse. At some point, you have to look at a situation. You have to look at a screen. You have to look at a person. You have to look at an opportunity that you know is not meant for you. You have to look at a relationship. My husband's not paying me no mind, and I just talked to this guy at work, and it's innocent, but, but he's talking to me, and he's opening up, and he's sharing his feelings, and my husband won't share his feelings with me. You have to refuse. Everybody say, I refuse. There's this, this young girl at work, and it's just innocent, and she's just a young girl. Like, we just hit it off, and we just talk. It's just innocent. We just go to lunch every now and then. You need to refuse. Everybody say, I refuse. Like, I have an opportunity to get in this business. It's a little, you know, it's a little shaky. It's a little, it's a little backdoor deal. But, you know, man, I think God wants me to... Pr- Listen, you have to refuse. You have to have an awareness of the situation you're in that it is a slippery slope looking to take you down. But Joseph, right, he refused. And he says this. He says, no one here, watch this, no one here has more authority than I do. This is so important. You guys have to hear this. He's being confronted. Hey, come sleep with me. And he says, he says to Potiphar's wife, hey, no one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be such a great sin against God. Joseph is is practicing something everybody in this room, including me, needs to practice. Joseph, in the middle of a temptation, is practicing his story. You need to practice your story. Who are you and how did you get where you are? And far more importantly, what do you want the next chapter of your life to say? Practice your story. Joseph is saying... Man, I came up out of, out of where I came from. I got sold into slavery. I don't have no control of it, but here I am. I control what I can control. God blessed me. God honored me. God promoted me, and I'm not going to lose it all on a floozy like you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not going to dishonor my boss. Far more importantly, I'm not going to dishonor God because he knew that decision would determine the next chapter of his life. You have to decide what do you want the next chapter of your life to look like. There's nobody in this room that wants the next chapter, and I lost my marriage, and I got kicked out of school, and I lost my business, and I went to prison, and I slept, and I'm a disgrace to my kids. Nobody wants that as their next chapter, but I'm telling you, there is a decision waiting on you to be made that some of you, that will be the next chapter of your life if you don't refuse to lose so you got to decide what do you want the next chapter to be i just uh just two weeks ago um got a you know i've been i've been in ministry for 25 years and i'm so sick of hearing this story but it's the story of people who don't rehearse their personal story a pastor friend of, of of ours contacted us just to tell us another mutual pastor friend of ours Fell in ministry. Ended up sleeping with two separate women in his church. Was, had a great church, great men, beautiful wife. Beautiful, beautiful kids, seven grandkids. Was actually getting ready to run for a political office. I mean, the next chapter of his life was incredible. But he allowed his life to be lived and then recorded rather than deciding what he wanted, what, what he wanted written up front. And, you know, I I don't know how he got from there to there. But I'm just telling you, I can promise you, there was a moment, there was a time that he had no situational awareness that I'm in trouble. My marriage is in trouble. My ministry's on the line. My future is in jeopardy. 
I want everybody to know something in this room. No matter who you are, you may not have any money. You may not have any prominence, and you may not be as good-looking as you think you are. You are still a target for the enemy. The enemy still wants to take you out because you are still a child of God. Come on, somebody. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. The enemy wants you to focus on the gain and ignore the losses. He wants you to see how this is going to feel good, how this is going to make you look good, how this is going to help you pass the test, how this is going to put a little extra money in your pocket, how this is going to make you feel important again because you're in a midlife crisis and you don't know if you're attracted any, attractive anymore, but this person's showing you some attention, so you're still attracted. He wants you to focus on the short-term gains, and he wants you to ignore the long-term losses that you will suffer if you are not intentional to write your story, your situation that some of you are in right now. You are standing on a slippery slope, and you're about to fall. You better pay attention. You better pray, God, give me some situational awareness to see where I'm at, to see where I'm standing, to see the situation I'm in. Because what you're about to lose, you will regret one day that you lost it. Verse, verse, 30, uh, verse 10 in chapter 39 says this. I'm to hear this. And she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day after day, she is sexting him. She's flirting with him. She's revealing herself to him. She's trying to whisper something into him, and he is in this environment. I don't know if you know this about temptation, but temptation is relentless. It doesn't give up. How many people lived a temptation-free life this past week? Come on, nobody. Everybody's tempted every day in circumstances with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. We're all tempted. It doesn't matter your age. You never, you never get to the place where you outage temptation. You'll be tempted till the day you die. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You will be tempted. Doesn't matter your money in the bank. Every one of us, we face temptation. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. Watch this. This is so big. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. Like, so at some point, he got this situation awareness that I'm on, her, I'm on her, her radar. And so he tried to avoid her, which is, which is okay. I think we ought to do everything we can do, but don't ever forget to invite God in the situation. See, the, the problem was he was trying to, trying to deal with it in his own strength. And if you're not willing to confront something, you'll never overcome it. We got to go head on. Some of us in this room, we just need to be honest. We just need to get gut level real. People know this. People outside the church know this. Alcoholics Anonymous knows this. If you're ever going to get some victory, you got to admit you're an alcoholic. you got to quit pussyfooting around, quit ignoring and quit minimizing. Well, I mean, I just drink a little bit every now and then I have to. No, you're an alcoholic. No, you're a drug addict. No, you got a sex problem. No, you have a pornography issue. We have to be honest with it. Here's why. Because when you confront it, that's where victory starts to come. And once you confront it, you can confess it, and that's where God's grace shows up. Listen to me. We can fight a fight with God's grace, but if we just look at God and say, God, you know, I mean, it's kind of an issue, but it's no big deal. When we say, God, I am broken. Lord, have mercy on me. I can't do this alone. I can't fight this alone. I can't overcome this alone. God, I need help. I'm telling you, that's when the windows of heaven will open up, and he will show up in your life. Because here's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, about temptation that all of us face. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. 
Man, I love it. You know what God's saying? God's saying you will never be at a stage or place in life where you're not tempted, but you can decide to put yourself in a stage and place of life where you are leaning on the strength that will help you overcome the temptation you're in. See, because it's not about what you're in. It's about who's in you. Oh, come on. It's, it's, about, it's not about where am I at. That's going to make you, now, I don't mean foolishly put yourself in situations, but that means if you find yourself in a situation that might overcome others because the overcomer's in you, we're going to be okay. All you got to do is ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They found themselves in a fiery furnace, but they were okay because it wasn't where they were at. It's who was in there with them. All you got to do is look at someone like Daniel in the lion's den. He was a tasty meal about to be eaten, but it's not where he was at. It was who was in there with him. All you got to do is look at Jesus that was in the grave dead, but it wasn't where he was at. It was who was in there with him, and the Father got him out. Verse 11 and 12. Here's where the story takes a turn. And some of you who know Joseph's story, you know where this is headed, but I want you to hear this. It says, one day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. So picture this. Potiphar's wife, good-looking woman, has been hitting on, throwing herself at young Joseph day after day after day after. She's looking and waiting for the right opportunity. We've certainly picked up at some point that probably Joseph was aloof through the process, but he's realized it. He has some situational awareness because he's trying to avoid her. And then one day, when no one else was around, he went in to do his work. Y'all see where this is going, right? And she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away. Good night. What strength. For real. No one would have known. No one would have known. Who would have known? And he said, no, I refuse. And he tore himself away. He, he so violently got away from her, he left his cloak <laughs> in her hand. <laughs> I mean, like, he's standing there, like, he runs away, and the cloak is still there. <laughs> and ran from the house. Now, here's why this is important. Some of you have read this story, and you know where it leads. Because of Potiphar's decision to refuse to sleep, or I'm sorry, Joseph's decision to refuse to sleep with Potiphar's wife, she accused him of rape. I don't know if y'all are paying attention to how this story fits with today's culture. I'm in very intentional to be not political because I won't win any of you, and I'm not here to win you to Republicans, politics, uh, Democrats, independents, Green Party. I'm here to win people to Jesus. And I know some people say, but don't you care what happened to those ladies? I don't know what happened to them. I wasn't there. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I can tell you there's three people that know what happened in that bedroom. He knows, she knows, and Jesus knows. Here's what I know. Is you better be careful. You better have situational awareness where you find yourself. Do not give the enemy ammunition to either tell a story you don't want told or twist a story you don't want repeated. So you look at this. Joseph ends up in prison. And a lot of us were Christians. We're like, man, poor Joseph. He did the right thing. The poor guy just ended up in prison. He was minding his own business, just being a good slave. And man, he, poor guy, just so you know, that's not how I read this story. 
Here's why. I already told you verse 6. Read it again. So Potiphar, everybody here read it. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. He had the authority to put another slave by his side. Listen, it's your job to never leave my side. I never want to be alone in the house with the wife. I want you by my side. But you know what? When he walked in that house and he was alone, the Scripture's telling us he knew he was alone. I'm not telling you he wanted to be in the situation. I'm not telling you he wanted to be put in that temptation. What I'm telling you is he either overestimated himself or underestimated her. But the point is he didn't use the authority that God gave him. If we're going to overcome temptation, we got to use the authority that God's given us to overcome the temptation that's coming our way. He naively walked in and thought, ah, it's no big deal. Listen to me. You got, he, he put himself in a bad situation because he lost his situational awareness again. Several years ago, um, you know, y'all know I'm from the north, right? OH. Every now and then I'll get an IO. OH. Evidently not today. Anyways. <laughs> so, you know, we get a little bit of snow in the north, which is a lot. And um, so, you know, you just get used to driving, and it's just, just, it's just part of what it is. I, I learned I took driver's ed uh, 15 years. I took driver's ed in the winter, you know, out driving in the snow and the ice. You just get used to it. It's just part of life. But you have to have an awareness. And there's a difference between snow on the road and ice on the road. And it's something I'm sure most of you have heard of it, but, you know, being in the south, uh, you know, maybe not so much. But, you know, there's something that's called black ice or clear ice. And here's what it is. It's when, when water freezes on a roadway in a thin layer on the black asphalt and you can't see its ice because it's so clear and you can be driving down the road and think everything's okay and not be aware that you're driving on ice several uh, quite quite a long time ago i was uh, i was invited to a meeting it was in columbus uh, i was about two and a half hours away it was a horrible night snowstorm came through it was bad i had no business on the road none but I didn't want to miss this opportunity that I had. I'm driving on the road. Probably There's probably 5% of cars on the road that would typically be on the road. There's some cars out. Every, every mile, there's someone in a ditch. There's someone on the side of the road, and I'm just, I just keep driving. I got this. I got this. I got four-wheel drive. FYI, four-wheel drive doesn't help with ice. I'm driving down the road. This is a true story. I'm driving down the road. And I'm not even really slowing down. I just, on a good pace, I'm going to make it. I'm probably a half hour from my destination. I don't even know what happened. But I, it was just, all of a sudden, I feel my car. <laughs> and I just did a complete, doing about 65 miles an hour, just did a complete 180. All the snow on the back of my car flipped up. I, had, I couldn't see where I was at. I couldn't react. I couldn't respond. Kept going. I thought, I'm going to die. There's cars on the road. I'm going to go across the meeting. I'm going to get head, hit head on. And I'm telling you, really, the Lord was, was, was with me in my stupidity because I just kept going. I did a 360, and my car just backed off and stalled right in the medium. <laughs> I'm just telling you, my arrogance put me on that road. I had no business on that road. I had no situational awareness. And I just want you to know something. In light of that, here's what we're getting ready to close. Ephesians 5, as you think about your story, as you think about your week, as you think about situations you will be in, you will be in today. Conversations, relationships, connections, opportunities you will have this week. Here's what the Bible says, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Every voice here, read this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
God's saying, use wisdom. Have situational awareness. Believe that you can fall into temptation. You're not above it. You're not beyond it. Have awareness. Be wise. The enemy's looking to take you out. He's looking to put people in your life, not to help you, but to hurt you. Not to bless you, but to rob you. Be aware that we all have a sin nature. We're attracted to sin. We're attracted to opportunity. We are prideful. We are arrogant. And if we do not have a situational awareness every day, you are all of us, we're already on the slippery slope. Use wisdom. Use wisdom. You have so much to lose. And contrary to what the devil would tell you, you have nothing to gain. So be wise. Use wisdom. Some of you here, you're like, Pastor, like, if I can get you alone with me for a minute, I can tell you my story because I think it's too late. Here's the good news. Remember I told you that the enemy wants to, he wants to remind you of the gains. He wants to hide the losses. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus covered our losses on the cross. So if you've already messed up, you've already fallen short, you've already missed the mark, you've already made some bad decisions, I want you to know that there's grace in Jesus. And the reason he came was to die on the cross to cover our losses, to pay the price for our sin, our mistakes, our shortcomings, places where we didn't show wisdom. But here's the challenge, really. While there's grace, I want you all to hear this, not close. I would much rather... I would much rather God bless my yes than forgive my no. I would much rather, I would much rather, instead of saying, God, forgive me because I blew it, I'd much rather say, God, I would ask that you honor me because I was obedient. Every one of us in this room, God's promised us the strength. He's promised us the way out of the temptation if we'll follow him, if we'll yield to him. So I want us to pray today, ask God to give us wisdom and strength. Will you pray? Father, I thank you today, Lord, all across this room. I pray, God, your strength and your peace and your joy. Lord, would be here today. Give us awareness of the situations we find ourselves. Make us aware of the rooms we're in, the conversations we're in, the decisions that are about to happen. God, I pray, keep us off the slippery slope. And Lord, keep us from falling into sin. Be our strength and be our help. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, I, I, I want to pray. I would ask, man, I want God to give me more situational awareness. I want God to give me more wisdom this week as I navigate life. If that's you, you want more situational awareness, I want you to lift a hand real high. I want God to open my eyes wide. I want God to wake me up. I want God to show me. Come on, if that's you. So, Father, every hand raised, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, give us eyes to see what normally we would miss. Give, give us ears to hear what normally we wouldn't listen to. Lead our steps. And I pray like Jesus taught us to pray, God, lead us not into temptation. God, guide our steps in a way that we can walk as overcomers. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week for week two.